Hello, my name is Jamin Warren. I'm the CEO of 256, a strategic consultancy that helps brands reach gamers. Our podcast helps marketers at brands and agencies answer the biggest questions of how to reach one of the largest audiences on the planet. Today, we've got a great guest. We've got Chris Norris, who's the Senior Director of Player Connection at Electronic Arts, otherwise known as EA. So one of the challenges that I often hear from brands is a concern about, quote unquote, brand safety. Gaming communities aren't often perceived as safe places, no matter that only 1% of players might be considered what you would call toxic or disruptive. I think that the brand safety concern is actually a fig leaf for other concerns about getting into games, but maybe that's a story for another time. In any case, game companies take positive play incredibly seriously, and it makes sense. If games are social spaces, then you want the people in them to have great experiences, and that's what Chris does. We had a great conversation about the types of behaviors that EA encourages and how to create the right expectations to create healthy communities. All right. Chris, thank you so much for joining me. I really appreciate it. Yeah, my pleasure. Really excited to be here chatting with you. Um, tell me a little bit about what it is that you do. Like when you're at a cocktail party and people ask you, Chris Norris, you're on LinkedIn, what does your day-to-day look like? Yeah, it's a great question. So I usually lead with, I work in video games, and then people either get a glassy stare or they're really engaged. So then that tells me whether or not <laughs> I can continue the conversation or not. Uh, so my formal title is Senior Director of Player Connection in the Positive Play Team at Electronic Arts. Um, but what that really means is I have the benefit and the great honor of thinking about how to better the player experience in and around our games on a regular basis. So that's a combination of research. It's a combination of working with our internal technical teams, it's a combination of working with my cross-disciplinary team to really figure out what are the ways that we can minimize the opportunities for disruptive behavior in our games, while at the same time figuring out how do we amplify all of the positive experiences and opportunities to maximize connectedness in and around our, our dynamic game experiences. Cool. Can you tell me a little bit about positive play, like as a concept um, or like the history of that phrase and that team at EA? Happy to. So the team itself is formally just about two years, two years old. I joined at the inception of the team. Uh, interestingly, so at Electronic Arts, we have a positive play charter that we put out as, as a promise to our players. We said, these are the things you should and should not expect when you play our games. That charter actually predated the team. So there was an internal team and they said, hey, we need to come up with a charter. And hey, now we need a team of, of people to actually bring this to life. Um, and so when I when I arrived just about two years ago, we said, hey, we've got a new positive play team. And a bunch of folks said, cool, what does that mean? So what we needed to do in the first instance was determine, okay, because the opportunity space is so vast, when we say, hey, we want to improve the player experience, um, it gave us a, a lot of opportunities to find sort of what that meant, what are the player problems that we're trying to, to minimize, um, and then how do we sort of turn some of this on its ear. I will say, you know, the idea of disruptive behavior in video games is not a new one. There are a lot of, you know, very mature solutions that are out there on moderation. But, you know, our take on it is a little bit different in that, you know, we're, our, our team is not called anti-negative play for a reason, right? We're trying to think a little <laughs> bit differently about how do you approach these problems and, and really optimize for those very fun and meaningfully connected experiences. Yeah. What do those um, problems like typically like look like? Like how do you categorize like what the 
like I guess on, on both ends, like what are the positive, what are the positive traits that you're looking to distill? And then what are the like negative behaviors that you see um, amongst players that you're trying to, you know, de-emphasize or train out of, or what is that, you know, what do both ends of the spectrum look like? Yeah, that's a great question. I think it's fair to say that games in their current incarnation are becoming increasingly social. You need to look no further than Roblox or Fortnite or, you know, the, any of the myriad experience where we know that people are spending a lot of time and not only playing, but also chatting, connecting, building and creating together. And so one of the things that we're seeing is, hey, we know that games are inherently social. Do we know why? And can we more thoughtfully design for some of those interactions? And, and you know, my team and I, are actually taking our cue from physical spaces. What, what are the lessons we've learned from designing for physical spaces that we've seemingly forgotten in terms of digital spaces, right? How do we allow for things like proximity and reciprocity, et cetera, right? On the path to connection. Um, on the, on the other side of the coin, you know, when we talk about disruptive behavior and we very specifically don't use the phrase toxicity, which I think, you know, is a, is a common phrase, if only because I firmly believe that there's a very, very small percentage of players that are out to ruin other people's games on purpose. <laughs> more, more often than not, it is, I don't understand the rules. I had a frustrating day and I brought it to the game. Um, you know, I, you, I cursed at someone. I called someone a name. I wanted to, to troll other players. So I put up what is a really inappropriate news username, for instance. Um, you know, I created something to evoke a reaction from someone in the games to, you know, some 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 really bad behavior, especially when we talk about you know, sort of racial slurs, et cetera. But again, I, I think that's a relatively small percentage of our player base. And, the, you know, the reason why we tend to, just, to, to refer to as disruptive behavior is more often than not, if we clearly communicate rules and expectations of behavior in a space are consistent about how we uphold that provide the rest of the player base um, a sense of empowerment that they themselves can also uphold these rules um, and then just make sure that we are really punishing the behavior and not the person, we start to see pretty marked um, betterment overall in behavior. So I don't think that there are, you know, I don't think it's an unsolvable problem or an unmitigatable problem. We just have to take time to, to, to really thoughtfully design for the behavior that we want to see. Got it. Got it. And so you're building recommendations that then the game design team can kind of take into like you're saying, hey, here's what we're seeing. Here's the behaviors that we want to we want to enhance. And here are the ones that we want to discourage design towards that. Is that is that correct? That's exactly right. And and we are, you know, for lack of a better phrase, we are what would be called a central team. So, you know, there are game teams and we're trying to create solutions that have sort of central integrity, right? When we talk about player needs, right? And generally, in general, my players want to feel like they are safe in the space, that, that the, the game they're playing is fair, um, that their play is balanced, that they feel included and that they're able to be connected. So we take those as sort of the, the base foundations for the work that we run at. At the same time, how that shows up has to actually matter and actually it has to be differentiated at the front. So I have to, we have to come up with solutions that make sense for the, the FIFA game team, for instance, and their player base, um, as well. Right. So, you know, a, a lot of the way that we're trying to attack it is going to be somewhat federated and that we need to think about what makes sense for that particular player of any, of any specific franchise. Got it. Um, can you walk me through a little bit of the history of like how games got to be so social? I, right. I think, you know, when I was a kid, you know, I played video games. The way in which it was social was, you know, I played with my brother or family and then 
early days internet. You know, I, I think I, I get the sense of folks have not fully grasped how social games are today uh, compared to, you know, how they looked 10, 15, 20 years ago. Right. Um, it's a great point. I love that you brought up your, your, your brother in this notion of couch cooperative play. I, I would actually argue because video games themselves are rooted in the very notion of play that they've always been social. Right. So either you would be playing with someone who you're sitting next to. I remember sleepovers when I was younger. I'm aging myself, but where one person would be trying to pass a level in Super Mario Brothers on NES and everybody would be watching that person. Right. And either during them or um, even though they're single player experience, there were there were social aspects to them. Um, and as you know, with the proliferation of just Internet and connectivity, what that allowed for are these sort of opportunities. So how do we mimic the couch co-op that you play with your brother? But now you can do it across massive distances, right, just given the way in which the Internet has shrunk the world. And so we've what we've done is we've tried to design for some of those. Obviously, that implies a much more complex technical base because you have to think about inter- Internet connectivity as the. Um, the hardware itself has become more complex. It's just opened up a lot of opportunities. And so I think we are seeing the evolution of what is social in games, but now at a scale that we probably didn't imagine, you know, 10, 15, 20 years ago. Yeah. Yeah. I, you know, it's, it, it is really interesting. I mean, if you look at the most popular games for the most part, you know, they are by far games that you play with other people um, synchronously or asynchronously um, the idea that games are a solo activity is definitely part of the stereotype of gamers, right? Like, you know, gamers as it were, it's like, Oh, this is something that you do. You're in your basement, you're isolated. It does miss that broader context in terms of how games have changed that. Yeah. It might just be you by yourself, but you're playing with close friends on other, you know, on the hundreds, thousands of miles away or, you know, communities that you've, 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 uh, you've developed online. How do, um, how does your team, like, how do you instill that? Or how do you encourage, um, social relationships to, to blossom? Cause I presume that people are developing relationships in addition to porting ones from the real world into, you know, into, into digital spaces. That's right. It, it's really trying to figure out how do those show up? So. And you mentioned it, right? So if we are friends in real life, it's really easy for us to, to coordinate a game session. Or if we're friends on a third party platform, let's say that we're friends on Discord, for instance, right? They've, you know, there's, there's a lot there that reduces the friction for us to group up and then go play a game. Uh, I think we, you know, largely what we're trying to figure out is for people who are strangers or maybe they're acquaintances, how do we still provide for meaningful opportunities for play? How do we understand motivations of play, styles of play um, that we know are just going to make those, you know, those play experiences much more meaningfully connected. They're going to be much more valuable to you uh, versus if you feel that there's a mismatch in style. Um, Ultimately it would be great if at the end of a game session, you said, Hey, we're friends now, let's be friends. Perfect. Um, but right. I don't know if that matches everyone's motivations, right? It may just say, hey, I've got an hour. I want to play. Jamin seems cool. We had a good time playing together. Great. If I see him again, I'll play with him again. But that's sort of the extent of our of our yeah. relatedness as, as it relates to the game. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, just like in the in the physical world, if I you know go to a pool hall and like some people are there because they're looking for social relationships. Some people are in a league. They want to play competitively. Some people, you know, have, you know, 30 minutes before meeting somebody, a friend or whatever, and like you navigate those in like a pretty like now you get 
body language and cues and like, okay, this person <laughs> is like not looking to like be friends. They're just looking to find, you know, a good match. Right. Um, do you, do you have some examples of like some of the solutions that you all that you can share in terms of like identifying some of these positive, like what does positive play look like in practice? If someone sits down in front of a, you know, an EA game title, what are some of the things that you can point to and say, Hey, those are things that came out of my team that like, you know, these are that, that help encourage people to have a, a good time at the end of the day. Yeah, we're at least in terms of the work that, that my team and I are doing there, we're still in relatively early days uh, in terms of figuring out what, what, can that look like and what are really interesting implementations but you know if you think across current game conventions for instance there are a lot of games that offer a mechanic where we may have just played a match or a game and i can give a thumbs up we've seen various systems where i can give you reward hey who is the best of this this and this in the game right so you can actually award other people points or honors Point or whatever the case may be to sort of indicate like, hey, I really appreciated how you played. You displayed good sportsmanship. Um, so we're seeing early iterations of these. What we're trying to figure out, I think, is wh- what do those convey about the play session that you just had? Um, what does that imply about what you as a player may value as a part of that play session? And then how do we start to extrapolate that, that into design around features, systems, et cetera? Yeah. You mentioned the positive play charter. Is that broken down into like main areas? Like what are the, um, what are the ingredient components for positive play? Yeah, it's, it's actually a relatively wide ranging. It's currently sitting on our website and, and it's really a pretty comprehensive list of do's and don'ts, right? That you <laughs> right. would probably consider, okay, this, this, this makes sense, right? This aligns overall with common sense in terms of how you should interact with other people and how you should think about the shared space in which you're inhabiting. Um, but you would be surprised at how infrequently we as a gaming industry actually provide those rules. So, of course, there is a terms of service, right? That's any <laughs> any length of, of, of you know words that most people don't read. Um, there can be a code of conduct. There cannot be a code of conduct. But more often than not, that has very little bearing on your play experience. It has very little bearing on whether you as a player feel empowered to say, hey, that's not cool what you're doing other than reporting systems. Uh, I think it's fair to say as an industry, we have probably over rotated to punishment rather than thinking about, okay, how do we actually, how do we actually keep you in this game system? How do we nudge you to, to better behavior? Um, rather than defaulting to, um, you know, know, systems that, that, that seek to keep people out of our games or, or punish them for some transgression or another. Yeah. Um, why do you, you know, one of the questions I get from marketers is like this brand safety question. It seems Mm -hmm. to, you know, it obviously the the number of people who play games is incredibly large. Um, the diversity of people's experiences, how they're playing, is incredibly large. Uh, but still, I you know get questions about like are games a safe place for like brands to interact in? And I'm curious um, how persistent um, how persistent do you think that that stereotype is going to be? And what are some things mm-hmm. that you know companies like EA are doing to hopefully combat against this idea that, you know, gamers are, you know, gamers are negative people or they like to fight online or that they have these, you know, antisocial behaviors um, when that's, you know, certainly that's not been, <laughs> that's not me. Right. I play right. video games. So yeah. Can you All tell right. me a little bit about like, why, why do you think that that stereotype persists um, and what you can do about it? Yeah, I, and this is just my personal opinion. I think it persists because it's far easier to amplify examples of antisocial behavior than it is, you know, just 
common good behaviors, right? So if you, if you, if you buy the, the math that I was talking about earlier, there's a very small percentage called 1% of our players that are truly toxic and exemplify the, the stereotype that you were describing. Well, that leaves, you know, anywhere from 95 to 98% of the players who are just coming and playing and have a good time. Um, but we often don't, don't hear from those folks, right? Because they're just coming. Time. So, you know, one of the, one of the truisms that we talk about is, you know, we're, we're not necessarily trying to change people. What we're trying to do are create spaces where, you know, certain types of behavior cannot thrive. And I think as an industry, as we become better at that, whether it's around, you know, moderation systems, reporting systems, while at the same time thinking about, you know, social design and social connectedness, we will start to see some of those more antisocial behaviors recede to the margins. Um, because again, I think it's just a question of, what do we communicate to players? How do we enforce that? And then further, how do we empower them? I'll give you an example from a physical space. There are generally accepted rules of engagement when you go to a movie theater, right? Now, <laughs> those will change, those, those will change in context, right? So depending on where you go to the movies, that will probably change depending on what movie you're going to see, like going to a Marvel opening night, expecting everyone to be very, very quiet is probably not realistic, right? So we understand the various affordances that we provide within the context of those spaces, we tend to broadly respect the rules. I feel empowered to shush someone else if I feel that they're very loud. And in very extreme examples, you may say, do you know what? I feel like I need to get an usher because I can't resolve it. But what we do in games is we say, okay, here's the movie and here are a hundred ushers around the space to look at every <laughs> little transgression. Um, and I just think we need to figure out how do we provide for those affordances what are the systems that we put in place to make sure that we are upholding those? And then just what do we, what do we, you know, communicate to our players in ways that feel human, that feel relatable? Yeah. Um, you know, to what extent do you, I mean, do you think of the games that you work on as being social networks versus being game spaces? Cause I think when we talk about like social media more broadly, you know, there are obviously big platforms, you know, Facebook, Instagram, um, and then there's gaming specific platforms at so Twitch, you know, Discord has other things that are happening there that are not games, but is very much, very much used by, uh, lots of gamers to communicate and build community. Um, and then we have the video games themselves. And I feel like it's not often part of the conversation. And so can you tell me a little bit about like in what ways are the video games that you work on similar to existing social networks and in what ways, you know, are they, are they different and unique? Yeah, that's a great question. I I think they bear very little similarity, if only because mm. the experiences that we create are games first. They're meant to yeah. entertain. They're meant to be sources of, of, of play and shared experiences. And more often than not, they will be characterized by some sort of shared objective. Right? The way that we try to achieve that objective may very well be different. But at minimum, there's a shared sense of state, a shared sense of objectives in these spaces and that, that we provide lots of opportunity to be social. I, you know, I, I'm a bit biased, but I might argue that that's probably not the same on a Facebook. That's probably not yeah, the yeah. same on an Instagram or yeah, a Twitter. Yeah. Um, and so that we can provide for more nuance in the why of play and maybe start to think about designing more actively for shared stake and shared objectives, right? How do we have shared flow versus individual flow? Um, that starts to become, I think, a really interesting dynamic versus even though you know social networks feel as though they're communal spaces, they're still marked by very individual behaviors. 
Mm, yeah. Yeah. That's such a good point. I think also just like, you know, we sort of, at some level, I think we sort of understand, uh, I, mean, I mean, I mean, I feel like this is sort of true, um, where you have like the sort of the dominant, uh, the dominant way in which it, like a platform like TikTok exists. And then there are all these like subcultures within TikTok. So, you know, it could be baking or like woodworking or axe throwing or travel or whatever. And then you kind of find, you, know, you find like conventions within those. And I do find with games, you both have, uh, the, there are some unique challenges in that like each, every single game in and of itself is a different social network with a different set of conventions, um, you know, what it means to play League of Legends versus something like Apex Legends or, you know, Overwatch or whatever that might be. Those are all very big multiplayer video games, but within them, there are totally different conventions that don't necessarily carry over. Um, do you have any guidance for brands should, in terms of how they, they think about interacting with players? Um, you know, we often get asked about, so brands I find often default to like wanting to do something like in game as opposed to thinking mm -hmm. about say like social context or um you know building or drafting off of um, player communities and those don't have to be things that you need to have an in game item or you know an in game uh in game experience to have uh, what guidance would you give to you know marketers as they're thinking about like engaging players um from your you know from your perch on the positive play uh, on the positive play sidelines <laughs> I would say there is a ton of opportunity in game adjacent spaces. Um, as you, as you mentioned earlier, once you're in a game, there's going to be a certain mindset when you're, when you're playing the game that's going to be very specific to an Overwatch, to an Apex, et cetera. Um, and trying to convey a certain notion of, of, of brand value in that context probably becomes difficult because how do you decouple that from the, yeah. from the hectic play experience itself? Where you start to look at, you know, really interesting game adjacent spaces, whether they're, say, a, you know, an Apex Club space or the Discord spaces, where there's probably more opportunity to more meaningfully connect brand value to player experience uh, outside yeah. of what's in, in real time at runtime within the games themselves. I, I think that starts to become really interesting because we know that there are a ton of really interesting connections that are happening between players in those spaces um, that align very closely along lines of motivation. Like how do I want to play? Right? You think about the sub-channel structure in something like a Discord, for instance. That, I think, starts to become um, a really, really compelling way to start to to, to players. Yeah, I mean it's interesting because I, I do think brands like understand that context in other like in other play-driven environments. Like, you know, there's a distinction between like uh you know getting a logo on a jersey, right? And what that implies in terms of, you know, so if you're Nike and Oregon, for example, like there's uh, you know, there's a deep connection between those two. There's also a brand story and a history there between those two versus like what you might do like at the stadium. Um, in terms of your presence there, which might be different from like what you do outside of the stadium, which might be different from what you do in digital. And so, yeah, I think that so much of it is just like encouraging folks to find like what's the right, what's the right place to engage. It doesn't have to be, especially given, you know, like, we try to discourage people. It takes a long time to do something in game. I mean, that just the, the, you know, there are very few games that have done, um, outside of mobile. Um, there are very few games that make a really easy pathway for you to like get your brand in there quickly. Like they just, they're not designed because they're designed to be games first right. and like right. vehicles for brand value, maybe second, maybe not at all, <laughs> maybe right. not at all. And so uh, <laughs> encouraging people to look for spaces where, you know, help engender some of the values on the community side outside the game itself, I think.
is uh, is really incredibly important. How, how do you um you know this is like this is a challenge. So you have control. Or, you know, EA is sensitive, like you said, you have policies and guidelines that help shape things that happen, like mm-hmm. on platform in game, and then obviously you you are able to um uh control things that sort of happen in the EA uh EA bubble that might happen on other digital platforms. How do you um how do you I mean how do you not control but like you know so much of what happens when people are building relationships outside of the game they're taking it to other platforms so they're exchanging things on you know Instagram other social platforms it could be like exchanging TikToks and uh you know whatever that might be um it can look at a lot of different ways um you don't have visibility into like that right so like how do you like you know, a sports team might have, you know, control of what happens at the stadium and maybe what happens in the parking lot, but like they can't go out to every sports bar and be like, Hey, look, everybody, you need to behave. And we're, you know, there's a certain set of values about what it means to be a fan of this club and whatnot. And so, so how do you, you know, how, how, how do you think about your role in terms of those, you know, non, uh, non EA or non legislated spaces, um, which also can impact what people expectations people bring into, you know, into, into your games? It's a really good question. I think that you hit the nail on the head. Like we, we, we can't really because those, <laughs> those, those, are, those aren't governed by our terms of service. Luckily, you know, across EA, we have good relationships. A number of these, you know, adjacent spaces where we know a lot of this connection is happening. Again, I think where, where our responsibility lies in sort of once you enter into an EA owned space or an EA governed space that we just make it relatively clear. Hey, when you're coming to the space, this is the sort of behavior that we can, ex- that, that we expect from you. Um, but there's a, there's a lot of great opportunity for you to connect with other players and really have a great time. All right. Well, that is it. That's all of my questions for you, Chris. Thank you so much. Uh, where can we find you? If people want to you know, follow up with you or, you know, follow your work or the things that you're working on, what would you, uh, where would you direct them to? My, my pleasure. Obviously, uh, EA.com is a great place to see all the things that we're doing in terms of positive play. Uh, you can find me on LinkedIn, Chris Norris, or on Twitter at CJ Norris. All right. Thanks, Chris. I appreciate it. Thanks, Jamie. Thanks so much for listening to the 256 Podcast. For more insights on gaming and marketing, you can visit us at 256.co. That's the numbers, 256, spelled out, .co. Or you can find me, Jamin, J-A-M-I-N, Warren, on LinkedIn. Thanks so much.